0: On the Way Home is proudly supported by Ellis Dawn Community Builders, a group formed within the Ellis Dawn group of companies to assist those who wish to deliver affordable and sustainable housing by providing development management services and leveraging Ellis Dawn's turnkey cradle-to-grave project capabilities. We incorporate all that a world-leading development, construction, and building services company has to offer to provide innovative and sustainable developments that connect and energize communities. Our offering is not simply a development and construction solution. It's a holistic and comprehensive approach that ensures the delivery of
1: assets that communities can be proud of. To learn more, please visit www.communitybuilders.ellisdawn.com.
2: We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on.
0: Welcome to another episode of On The Way Home. I am one of your hosts, Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door. And this week, uh, our co-host Steph is away. So we are joined by Meg Shanks-Marshall, also known as Meg the Temp. Well, just, just by me. And Meg is from Blue Door. Meg, how's it going?
2: Hi, Michael. I'm doing great today. How are you?
0: Living the dream here at Blue Door. Truth is, I just came off three weeks of holidays, and I have to say, I've got the, the best team in the business. I came back, and uh, things are better than uh, normal. So, you know, it leads me to thinking do I really need to be around? But I'm here nonetheless, and there's lots of stuff going on. Uh, for example, in Steph's absence, there's the vote for housing campaign. The election was just called, so exciting times. Hopefully, housing is on every party's agenda and the lack of it and the affordability of it. So exciting times. What is happening at Blue Door?
2: Thanks, Michael. Yes, there's um, I'm, I'm so glad you got to take the vacation uh, that you needed, but the team was busy here. Um, I just got an update on our 200 doors campaign and that campaign that we uh, have been running with eight other partner organizations has now housed over 440 individuals since October of 2020. So that is a huge accomplishment. We are really excited about it. And another great thing is, um, in the area of youth homelessness and ending youth homelessness was the Orange Door Project. That wrapped up at the end of um, July there at the beginning of August. And I just got word that all over Canada over 1.4 million was raised uh, in that campaign. So a huge win uh, for everybody working towards ending youth homelessness. So things are great here at Blue Door and we are excited to continue working.
0: Very cool. I always think when you say I just got word, like those oldie kind of things where the news is coming through, and you're like, oh, oh, just got word, 200 door campaign. So people know that campaign, uh, what we did in York region, with the 200 doors campaign is, is kind of a takeoff of, I think it was the 600 keys campaign in Calgary. The idea was at the beginning within, I think, four or six months all these organizations came together and said, let's stop competing for landlords. Let's ask the landlords what they want and then share it with the organizations and together let's house 200 people quickly. um, That kept getting extended, it's no longer 200 doors, but now we've passed 400 people, which is incredible. And it shows you that working together is always better than working apart. So congratulations to all of our partners, including Blue Door in York region. Meg, let me tell you about today's guest. I don't know if you know this about me, Meg, but my hometown is St. Catharines, Ontario. That's where I was born and raised. So anytime good things happen in Niagara and St. Catharines, I get really excited. And I'm always really, uh, really proud uh, that Mike Lethby, our guest today from the RAFT, uh, is doing incredible work. It's kind of neat to see, like Mike is uh, doing some incredible work in Niagara, always leading work around prevention. He loves, I think it drives him crazy, really, that... uh, uh, you know, you know, when things aren't working or pushing forward or people keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting results. And Mike pushes the limits, right? He does the right research. He asks the right questions and he's not afraid to take risks. I really admire that. And so out of that, he's done incredible stuff uh, in Niagara. But let me tell you his official bio here. Let me read this out for you. So Mike was born and raised in Niagara. It must be a Mike thing. And he, he started, a, and also a very St. Catharines thing, he started off in the local auto sector and then went up to Brock University in St. Catharines to get his honors BA in political science and history, and then went on to get his master's degree in political science from Western Ontario. And for many, many years, Mike has been the executive director of the Niagara Resource Service for Youth, also known as the RAFT, a uh, nonprofit agency in Niagara region, working with youth and their families. And he does much, much more than that. It's incredible, all the different uh, spin-offs and things he's done and innovations he's created. So, so excited to have Mike on the show today. Mike, welcome.
1: Yeah, thank you. Really, uh, really happy to Michael. And uh, Mike. thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, welcome to the show, Mike. Um, I'm going to jump in uh, right away. Um, So, while many of the people in our sector have their beginnings in social services, your path into this work has been a little bit different. Um, So, can you walk us through your journey?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's kind of allowed me to take a bit of an outside view of things, which I think has also helped in how uh, some of the successes we've been able to have. But uh, largely had had no knowledge whatsoever of the homelessness or homeless services, uh, largely no experience whatsoever in the uh, social services, Uh, you know, worked in a factory, worked on farms, went to school. uh, And then uh, it's kind of funny, you know, we were talking there, you know, there's been all this stuff about encampments and stuff lately in the news, but back, you know, about uh, 16 years, 16, 17 years ago now in in Niagara and St. Catharines, there's a park downtown called Montebello. And, uh, and out of the cold program closed for the winter, like, you know, summer was coming on, so it, the program closed. And a lot of the, the people that had been staying at the, that program ended up encamping at the park. And it created a bit of a, you know, as it does, right, it created some controversy in the city. And I remember walking through the park, with not necessarily knowing what was going on, and seeing all these people uh, staying there, sleeping in tents, and really just not understanding at all. What was what I was seeing, and I couldn't understand why, you know, why first of all, why were people sleeping in a public park, and uh, you know, and then just as you know, life has a tendency. Uh, three weeks later, I ended up getting hired on at a, a not-for-profit, doing some background administrative work for them. And uh, by the about, you know, by the end of the summer, I actually, one of my jobs was to work with this group uh, that had formed. And we, we opened a temporary uh, shelter that was run by participants who were living in the park. So it was, it was completely sort of run by the, by the people in the park. They set the rules. I mean, for insurance and, and um, you know, legal reasons, they had to have sort of an agency head. And so I kind of, I think it, basically I was the one that uh, they could afford not to have working what they were paying me to do, so they're like, you go take care of this thing. So, with zero experience, you know, I just kind of got thrown in, and so I had no idea about what it should look like, and so I really did, you know, sort of work with the guys to say, well, you know, how's this thing supposed to function? What are we supposed to do? And we ended up running it for for a few months, and then uh, the city ended up opening an emergency shelter downtown, uh, a 30-bed shelter, which sort of took up the space that was left, right, and so. Uh, but it also goes, and that was kind of my entry into this this work. But I think the the thing that I find interesting is that you know we've we've kind of come full circle again in, in St. Catharines, where we're seeing again encampments uh, growing, and you know, and and is the solution going to be more shelter? Right? I mean, that was the solution almost 20 years ago, and largely it seems to be still the ongoing solution for for encampments and and definitely uh you know the media out of toronto uh you know there's this whole like we have space in the shelter you should go back to the shelter here's you know you shouldn't be sleeping in the park we can secure your spaces and shelter and, and clearly there seems to be a disconnect between what people are requiring and what our solution that we keep offering is and so that's kind of oddly how I got into doing this work and you know once I got in I you know you sort of fall in love with the work uh and you know I've been doing it now uh ED for the RAF for the past 16 years
0: well Mike and, and you've done a lot during those 16 years from where you started um good enough is never good enough for you which I admire um and not only you know have you done that great work in my hometown, St. Catharines, but you were one of the first that I ever heard start talking about prevention, right? We were, and I was one of the people we were just addressing the immediate needs, you know, uh, emergency needs, that kind of thing, housing first, but we never talked about prevention, but you were one of the first to do that. Can you tell us a little bit more about your work uh, at the Raft around this and how your focus turned to prevention over the past few years?
1: Yeah, you know, and I'm. it's kind of interesting. I mean, at the time, the way things, sometimes things just happen in a, and you just kind of follow the path, right? Doors open and you just walk through the doors that are open and then you end up in a place without necessarily, you know, intending to get to that place. So largely my 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 work in prevention really started off that way. You know, uh, I wasn't necessarily looking to do prevention. I was, uh, we were very much your standard shelter. We you know, services were delivered in the shelter. And, and um, you know, we, we'd, we'd run into some problems where uh, we just didn't have enough room in the shelter and, and there wasn't enough funding to support the shelter. So we ended up having to expand to a larger shelter, basically to support the operations of the shelter, which in itself is now sounds kind of crazy, but that's, you know, that's how it was working. And through that, Again, we, we quickly filled up again. So I, it, you know, thinking back on it now, one of the things I found that was particularly interesting was I'm not exactly sure how it happened or if it ever happened in any kind of like, you know, black and white way or like the light switch turned on, but um, my, my job, I was hired to run a shelter. And so why would I try to prevent people from coming to that shelter? And that's really the, I think that is one of the things that's really holding back the whole system. Is that uh, most of the people into home, like most of the people that come up through into homelessness and rise into you know positions where they have some ability to say in management uh, all pretty much came through the shelter system, and so shelter is in your blood. That's kind of what you know, and that's and so the idea of you know so the idea of not using shelter seems somewhat foreign, and so. I'm not quite sure exactly how it how I got on the path to it, but I I decided that, well, instead of being a shelter provider, I want to end homelessness because that was the only way I was going to open up the beds in my shelter. Because otherwise I, I couldn't do either. Well, right, because my beds were always full. I was always turning people away. So I really wasn't offering the shelter that was needed either by the community. So by not being able to expand anymore. Because we'd already just expanded and filled up, I, that was blocked, and so it kind of forced me into the look at well, why are people even coming into the shelter? Like, what's what's that need? And through asking those questions, you know, really trying to understand who is using our shelter, that's kind of how we ended up with prevention. But um, I do think it's a bit of a, you know, it's it's a bit of a switch to go from you know thinking of yourself as a shelter provider to prevention. I'm not saying I don't think it's necessarily a natural uh, progression in thought.
2: Great. Thank, thank you, Mike. Um, many of our listeners have heard of the ReConnect program, but for those who may not have, can you talk about its beginnings and where it is today?
1: Yeah, so that was really our first sort of uh, venture into prevention. Uh, I, there's a group in Fort Erie, which is a smaller community, more of a rural community, about 45 minutes away from St. Catherine's, uh, and they ended up uh, having some homeless issue in you know in the town, and so they were looking at opening a shelter, <clears throat> and so they they reached out to me as a shelter provider to to help them in that endeavor. And and when we really started looking at it, the model didn't work. I mean, there weren't enough people there to justify a full time shelter, so they were kind of stuck. And so we went through. It was a it was a committee uh, group effort. A group called uh, Youth secure Housing at the time had formed. And, and again, this is all sort of happening at the same time. I was struggling with this over in my shelter. And we, we sort of identified that schools, like everybody who required, like because we, we were sp- specifically uh, focusing on youth in the community. Uh, but we found that the majority of the kids there had been in school immediately before requiring shelter and, and largely had to leave Fort Erie to access shelter in the city. So they had to migrate uh, in order, to, and that meant they had to sort of leave peers, leave any family behind, and, and or and drop out of school. And so, reconnect then really was an attempt to, to solve that problem in that community. Uh, but the model works. So working with schools to help identify students who are in, who are in housing crisis, uh, supporting them in their home community, uh, and then. Uh, allowing them so really the goal is to support them in their home community so they'll become homeless in the first place and secondarily for us uh, but as important is making sure that they can maintain their school attachment and the the synergy between staying housed and staying school attached is is 100 percent. so keeping kids in school is a great way to prevent youth homelessness and that's kind of the the centerpiece to the youth reconnect program and I'm you know, we've been running it now 2008. Uh, In 2008, when we started, we had 500 kids access our shelter. And then last year, we had uh, under 120. So we've seen a massive reduction uh, in the number of individuals utilizing our shelter. There's still kids using our shelter, though, so we're not finished. But, um, you know, that speaks to what that program is able to achieve. And I'm, I'm Happy now to see that the Youth Reconnect program, the art communities in Canada actually that are starting to adopt uh, Youth Youth Reconnect or programs like Youth Reconnect and, and making that connection to school. So it's not quite the, you know, the mystery it used to be. So I'm, you know, I'm very happy to see that over the, you know, the last 20 years or so.
0: Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the Greater Toronto Area. More than a business with a heart. Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca.
2: Yeah, that's, that's such amazing um, progress to hear for sure. And I think um, in talking about the, the ReConnect program and keeping kids in schools and also keeping them close to their home community is also really helpful in working on things like diversion. Um, so in the last few years, shelter diversion has become a very popular way of preventing homelessness. Can you explain a bit about what it is uh, and how it works as well?
1: Yeah, so for us diversion, so <clears throat> what we had noticed in our prevention work with Youth Reconnect is that uh, we got to a level about 2013 or so where we kind of hit a plateau, so we had a massive reduction, about a you know 60% reduction from our height, uh, but we really couldn't crack that. It was kind of this corridor. We'd go up 10, down 10. We'd, we were sort of sitting around 130 to 160 youth uh, in any one year, but it was staying the same. And so, we really did start looking to say, well, you know, how can what's what's different about this group that we're not able to capture them, and, you know, that we're not able to prevent the homelessness, or we're not able to stabilize them prior to shelter. And uh, we went through a whole bunch of different program types, and uh, you know, and failed a lot, right? I mean, that was kind of the critical piece is that we failed a lot because sometimes when you're successful right off the get-go, you don't understand why you're successful, and then that can lead to bigger failures down the road because you make these assumptions and. They end up not being true, but you learn, you know, you learn a lot more from failure than you do success. So luckily we were, we failed quite a bit and uh, diversion ended up coming out of that failure. You know, once all the other doors sort of closed, uh, diversion uh, became a program that uh, seemed to, to be the most promising. And one of the key things about diversion is that it's basically as the program we're running, it is, uh, you know, as people try to access shelter, at that moment of access, we have a conversation with you to say what else. So, uh, so the key piece here about diversion, because things, because anytime we you are having a program and you're working with people, there's always a lot of danger to misuse and unintended consequence and harm. And so you have to be very uh, cognizant of that in this program because it's not about saying no to shelter. So it's not about a barrier to shelter. It really is saying, what else is a better option for you? And if there is a better option, then let's figure out how to, you know, get you there than having you access shelter in the first place. So that's, that's kind of the, the basic of shelter diversion.
0: It's funny because it's so simple, Mike, um, you know, like, and why we didn't think of this many, many years ago, it really is asking a few questions instead of saying, we used to be. You call a shelter. Do you have space? Yes or no. Right. And then, but now it's okay. um, Tell me a little bit about yourself. Ask a few questions. And it's really just asking a few questions. You're right. It's not a barrier, but it's, you know, can you stay, you're looking for options because sometimes shelter isn't the best option. And often it's a slippery slope once you enter into the system, right? So diversion and, and listen, I mean, this is the thing about diversion and prevention in general, not only, is it amazing for the people to not have them enter into the system and, and find different options? Uh, it saves a lot of money too, right? Because let's face it, shelter is, is very, very expensive.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it's a people oriented uh, program is one of the things I really like about it. It's based on six. It's, it's based on success. So it's a very strength based assessment. Unlike a lot of assessments in the homeless sector that really look at deficits, like what's wrong with you, Um, you know, what are the problems that you're presenting with? And now we need to target those. It's, it kind of flips it. So it's strength-based and that it says, well, we know you've been successfully housed at some point. And that's part of the questioning is like, you know, when was the last time you were successfully housed? What was the condition? Um, and then what is it that changed that for you? You know, so it, it, it really does say, it really does focus on the fact that nothing's stopping you from being housed you know, there's no, there, you have no deficit that automatically excludes you from being housed. It's, it's just that some kind of situation has changed and yeah. is, can we identify it, uh, and then get you back to successfully house. So it really does build on your, on your own unique strengths and and personality and, and what assets you bring to the table. Um, and so that's one of the things that really excite me about this program is that it is strength based in that way.
0: Yeah, I love it. That's a nice, uh, nice way to describe it. And, and, you know, for the first while, I think there's a lot of research and work done um, with adults in diversion. I remember talking to you saying, hey, you know, I haven't seen a lot around youth yet. And, and Mike, you've been around the sector for a long time. So, you know, if you're looking for funding or you're looking at new ways to do things, it's not about what you know, it's what you can prove. You understand that. So you set about doing this. Uh, research study, brought on some partners and, and, well, listen, I will talk about it, but you you said, let's do a diversion study over the next couple of years. Can you tell us about the project and and what were some of the key learnings?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we just released a report. So we started shelter diversion, um, which is a program model that we borrowed from Argus House in Cambridge. So I just wanted to give them a shout out because they were really the, uh, uh, I believe the leaders uh, in the youth shelter diversion. It was from them that I heard about what they were doing and I thought, well, this is a great model, um, and they seemed to really have a uh, you know, solid understanding of the, the clients and the youth they were serving, and they seemed similar to us in that way. So uh, they were great. I mean, they, they opened the doors to us, uh, and even let one of my, the, the, when I was able to secure some funding, they actually let the staff person, my staff person, uh, in bed with them for a week in their program and was able to sort of sit with them for an entire week and observe shelter diversion happening from the people who knew how to do it, right? So that was phenomenal. So, uh, you know, that's also one of the great strengths in the not-for-profit sector is that, you know, that lack of competition there where we're really, you know, here's something that works, take it, right? There's no, there's no copyright to it. Just, you know, but, uh, you know, but recognition I think is important for the people that are doing the hard work and got, you know, got us up the hill. So, so it was really them, uh, saw a presentation around the diversion. So we started it. We did the training. And, and to tell you, it actually, it's, it's probably one of the quickest programs where we, like our I have personally overseen startup. So uh, the initial investment was quite quite small. Uh, really, it was just a wage, one wage. Um, the training, uh, you know, like I said, it took about a week. and then. Uh, you know, I have, obviously we have to sort of uh, oversight and ongoing learnings. We review it every month, but it was a pretty easy program to start up. So as a prevention program, if, if you're looking to say dip your toe in prevention, maybe, you know, and that you know, funding and and, and we didn't really have to change a lot of policies because we didn't have to change the, the shelter side of how we ran. We just had to change the intake uh, and all that. And it was just adding this you know, extra thing, extra questions at the beginning of the intake. Um, So as a program, it's not very disruptive. I mean, it's massively disruptive to your shelter, to your bed count, but it's not disruptive to your shelter from a operational standpoint, like from policy change. And like I said, it's it's fairly, um, fairly cheap to get into. And so, you know, we started running in April, 2019, and I just finished a report for April, 2021. So looking at the last two years uh, called uh, uh, Two Years of Shelter Diversions, Learnings and Lessons. And it's, it's, it's been very interesting. We were actually able to expand the program beyond us. So we started off delivering it. And then a uh, the largest adult shelter in the Niagara region, Southridge Community Church Shelter, uh, which has, a, has 55 beds, they came on board. And so we ended up having two workers uh, being able to deliver shelter diversion. So they started in uh, November of 2019. And then we actually added the the other youth serving agency shelter, which is in Niagara Falls called Nightlight, which is run by the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, they came on in August, actually, of 2020. So in, in the pandemic, we we're actually able to expand this program. So it gives you a sense of you know, how doable it is that during the pandemic, when we weren't able to meet and physically meet, we were actually able to launch this program with them successfully. And so the, the report, uh, basically, it, it breaks down to uh, 2,643 interactions uh, representing thousand or 1,181 individuals. And so uh, it is really, you know, these are numbers, but there are all people, these are all you know, 2,643 times people approach the system asking for assistance. And that's really, you know, the, what, the pro, what the report is based on. It's those those people that look to access the, the system between those, you know, those dates in our three shelters.
0: And what were some of the biggest surprises? So, so you, you've thrown out some of the numbers um, you've had this report for two years. Were there big surprises coming out of this, or did it just confirm what you already knew?
1: Yeah, I, to some degree, it, it you know it, it did confirm some of the things I, I thought I knew, so that's that was nice. Um, just to give you, just to throw out a couple more numbers, uh, you know, just because I, I spent two years collecting these things, so yeah, you know, I like to kick them out <laughs> since I got them. But um, so we were thirty six percent successful with youth and 11% successful of adults. So we were able to divert you know, 36% of youth and 11% adults. Uh, in total 461 people were successfully diverted over the two years. So to put that in a little bit of context, you know, I was saying that the RAF shelter, uh, typically we're seeing 130 to 160 people or youth in a year. So 461 over two. So, I mean, that's really the equivalent of roughly four or three and a half RAF shelters of people diverted right so uh, pretty successful uh, that way one of the things when we get to the, some of the surprises I think I learned more about the shelter system than I did necessarily about uh, shelter diversion and so we had a pretty good handle on what shelter diversion but what the numbers as I started sort of pulling the numbers together for the report the commentary that it made towards what it what the shelter system represents and how it's interacting with people and how people are interacting with it. I think that was kind of my, some of our biggest uh, learnings that come out of it. So for example, I was saying we had 36% were successful as youth, 11% with adults. But when we isolate for youth and adults who had never had a shelter stay in their past, uh, by self-report, our numbers jumped from 36% successful with youth, the 64% successful with youth, and our numbers jump with adults from 11% to 37%. So a fairly significant increase, like a three-to-one increase for adults' uh, success in in being able to work from shelter if they hadn't had a prior uh, instance of shelter. So sort of getting back, right? So that really kind of, you know, because so much is centered in shelter as first point of contact for the system. Um, and even if we're doing after supports, you know, we're really we're really losing a modifier there, you know, like our ability to really amp up what we're doing if we even let people enter shelter, if there's any other way we can prevent it. All right. So that's probably one of the, you know, if you want the, you know, sort of maybe the biggest takeaway, that was probably one of the biggest for me.
2: Thanks, Mike. That's that's so interesting. And I think your point about um People accessing shelter for the first time—at least for our listeners who maybe aren't in the homelessness sector—I think I've heard a perception um, that that individuals accessing emergency housing um, do it consistently. There's kind of there's not as much awareness of of people who are, are you know have their first time accessing emergency housing you know at 50 years old. Um, A lot of people don't realize that. And so the fact that the diversion program was able to, you know, prevent that person from having to access emergency housing and find other options uh, is so amazing. And it just, it just speaks to how well the program is working. So that's awesome um and you mentioned the the pandemic before um so as we know the past couple years have been you know anything but normal can you talk to us a little bit about how covid19 affected the diversion project
1: yeah so it so we had a year without and then a year with basically um we it's it's and i i really can't say uh because it was already, we were able to work very closely off-site. Uh, it already was set up as an interview, so it was very, you know, it was easy enough to make that transition to not necessarily have to do face-to-face. Um, I didn't see any change in our success rate uh, uh, between the two periods. Uh, now, you know, again, because it was half and half, it, you know, it's hard for me. Everything everything with a, you know, a grain of salt at this point, right, you got to sort of always put that, caveat at the end that this was a COVID year and you know it'll be next year really data from next year will sort of tell the tale. Uh, We were seeing reductions already going into the year so we did see less people uh, accessing shelter over 2020 so potentially that could have been a COVID effect uh, or that could have been you know the you know shelter diversion diverting people so this is where you know everything has to sort of be taken with a grain of salt. One of the, the biggest things, um, I think, is the the breakdown in the the, the peer section, like the connections to people, uh, which is, is probably one of the you know great tragedies in the in the COVID because of COVID outside of the mortality rates and the sickness is that it really uh, put a pause on people's connectiveness or it broke people's connectiveness. And one of the critical things that we found through the report. Uh, the things that, so we had the not access and shelter was important, but also what I consider term as personal agency, like people's abilities to make choices in the moment and the things that support that choice. And one of the critical pieces is, you know, there's, I think there's three main sort of legs of the stool for personal agency. One is social connection, adequate income, and then good health. Right. And so one of the things we found, the reason why we were so successful with adults is because we were able to reach out to family and kin. And a lot of people thought, well, you're an adult, like, they're, you know, like that's like family's no longer in the picture for you. And so they just get discounted. And, and, and even for youth, who it's so, it seems so obvious, again, to Mike's point or Michael's point earlier about these obvious things, um, the fact that family wasn't the main uh, place that we were looking to support youth doesn't make sense and so you know when I started looking into it and we saw the numbers and we started realizing that you know family and kin were the main like the were that was mainly where people were going if they were successful and so you know I started looking at some of the numbers from like stats Canada and you know the, the stats that come out of the states and it's interesting that you know we talk a lot about affordable housing but no one ever mentions the largest provider of affordable housing in Canada and the United States for 16 to 30 year olds is family. And so that is the single largest affordable housing provider in North America and no one's talking about them, right? And that's one of those, we've taken the largest provider of affordable housing and we've taken them off the table and then we're only left with a tiny sliver, uh, which costs so much to build and take so much energy to, to, you know, to create new spaces. Uh, and we're never going to be able to build our way out of youth homelessness unless we re-engage family as, as housing providers. And you know, and by when I say family, I'm talking large family. I'm not talking uh, necessarily mom or dad, or you know, we're talking about grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, siblings, like you know, the much larger extended family. And so. That, that's really been one of the things we've been focusing on. But that's where COVID also has been a concern, right? Because it's kept people away from, from having those connections. So that's where it'll be interesting to see because family was such a, a driver of our success. But then COVID sort of was also working against that success because of the way it, you know, it forced people apart. So it'll be interesting to see how that, that plays out.
0: Mike, I like what you're saying there. We know, I believe it's 80% of youth who are surveyed. Um, I think that was in 2016 when the observatory did their, their, um, their research, said that uh, a key factor in homelessness was family breakdown. So, what you're speaking about there, and that's immediate family, right? Uh, we know that family plays such a large part. It's so refreshing to hear you say that, and that, listen, you know, uh, family should come first. CAS facts and Niagara they figured that uh, a long time ago that you always want to try and keep youth with family because that's where their connections are if you can, if it's possible, why haven't we been doing the same thing uh, in our sector? so it's nice to hear and it's it's always so I love talking you think of things a little differently spin it around and say why are we not asking that question so so amazing. So you've done this project, you've released it I've some I've seen some of the press it's kept you away from your vacation. Um, and you have all these learnings. So where do we go from there? How do we take this and what's next? Like what are next steps uh, with Diversion? What are your hopes?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I mean, one of my hopes is just to be able to continue to offer the program. I mean, it's always, uh, uh, you know, this is always the problem with prevention work is that it's always kind of uh, secondary to the shelter system. And so keeping it funded, uh, definitely a priority for myself. Uh, and our partners like we've had a lot of success and I think we'll we'll be successful in, in being able to maintain the funding for it, but that's always uh, you know something we're concerned about. Outside of our own work, I mean I, I would like to see uh, this be expanded that all of Niagara shelters would be able to, to have diversion. I think that would make a, a big impact on and really allowing shelters the ability to function the way uh, you know they're sort of originally designed if you're running at 100% all the time, your ability to really uh, do the social work is, is really uh, inhibited. Because at that point, really, you're, you're you, it becomes about rule enforcement, right? Uh, you know, protection and safety, and, and you get all these, you know, it's just because you, you put so many people into one space and you've kept it full for so long, at maximum capacity, you just burn people out. And so, if we, if shelter diversion can even take off, you know, 10, 15% of the pressure off the adult side, you know, then suddenly it allows staff to take a bit of a breath, step back and really do the work they want to do. Like no one, maybe they do, but I mean, I don't think people are getting into working in shelters because they want to enforce rules. I feel like, you know, the majority of people that get into the work want to actually help people be successful. So, you know, I think that's how we burn staff out is that we're, you know, they have this natural inclination to help people, and then we're, we're turning them into security guards. So, you know, you know, if shelter diversion could do anything, it might be able to just take the pressure off enough to allow people to sort of re-engage with their original mandates and, and supply some success. And then outside of Niagara, uh, like I said, we borrowed this from, from Argus. I know other places are, are starting to look at shelter diversion. Um, and really take a hard look at it as something that they want to offer. So, you know, I'm really hoping that the, this report, our two years of learning, can benefit others when they go to look to to run a program. And so, I'm you know, I'm going to be looking similar to how Youth Reconnect is slowly being adopted in other communities. You know, really looking to help see that adoption. And if there's a part I can play in that, then you know, much like Argus did for us, anyone can always call us and you know be even more willing to work to uh, you know, share everything we have with other agencies.
2: Yeah. Speaking about uh, sharing that information, where can people go to see the report or find out more about the great work you're doing at the raft?
1: Yeah. So, so currently the report is on the raft's website. So just, you know, the raft.com or .ca, sorry. Uh, but Homeless Hub will be produced, like putting the report up as well. So that should be coming uh, within, you know, it's just sort of, technical side, they just have to put it up. But I think that'll be up probably by early September. And then we're looking to do a webinar with COH and Away Home uh, at the end of September to, to go more in depth into the report. So more of a, a technical deep dive into the actual report and spend an hour with it and really sort of, you know, break it apart for people and, and look, you know, really deeply at the numbers and the learnings that way. So, but uh, like I said, I currently, uh, if you went on our website in addition to youth reconnect and some of the other stuff we're doing um the the shelter diversion reports right on the face page you can just download it and, you know it's about 30 pages so yeah you know, it's a little bit of reading
2: thank you so much mike for for sharing uh the information from your report and for talking to us today it's been such a pleasure i'm so lucky i got to step in for stefania today it's been awesome to hear from you so thank you so much mike for joining us
1: my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on
0: again. And I, I tell you, Meg, uh, every time I talk with Mike, I am energized. I mean, he he's part of our group, uh, TradeWorks group with Home Depot. Him and his group do Fresh Paint, which is a really cool uh, program uh, from the Raft. But he, he's so right. I mean, I was talking with uh, folks from Youth Opportunities Unlimited in London today and they were talking about diversion. I said, funny you should say that. I'm talking to Mike Lethby from the RAF today. And so I, hopefully his report can help you uh, push that forward. And here's here's the big takeaway too, Meg, is that funders always say, show me the proof. What what can it really do? How is this going to save me dollars to save lives? And Mike's re- Mike's report shows you exactly that from the numbers he was telling us.
2: Yeah, it's an incredible reflection of, of the impact it can have for sure, and I just, I find myself so uh, stuck on his point about about family and that being the largest affordable housing provider, you know, that's something, uh, even, even though I work in this sector, it's, it's not, uh, I hadn't seen it in that way before, uh, and it's such an important point, um, so I'm so glad he was able to describe that for our listeners.
0: Absolutely. Another great episode, another great guest and another great host, Meg. It's been a pleasure having you on today as a co-host. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time on the way home.